Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Liz Kislik, who is a management consultant and executive coach. Hello, Liz. How are you? And welcome to the show. I'm good, Sean. How are you? Doing very well, and I'm very excited for this episode. So before we get into the topics we want to discuss, I think it would be great if you could share more about your background and how you got to where you are today with the audience. Happy to do that. I've had my practice for well over 30 years. Never thought this was where I would end up. But when I was uh, graduating from college, I knew that I wanted to go to work. I wanted to be in business, unlike most of my friends who went to grad school. I felt that work was where you could make things happen. And, you know, you would just see more action and it would be more fun. So I got a job with a small marketing agency where I had worked two prior summers after interviewing for other things. But because they knew me and I had experience, I could come in at a more senior level. So I was hired to be an account executive. But as was true of my entire history at that firm, I was never in the job that I thought I was going to be in. Um, When I got there the first day, it turned out that one of the department heads was on maternity leave. So I was suddenly responsible for a department I didn't know for two dozen people. Um, And it was quite fascinating. I had to learn the job, get used to managing a decent sized group of people, and they had to get used to me because I was nothing like their boss. And my history at that company was like that for the eight years I was there. Uh, For the first, it might have actually been the first five years, almost every six months I was promoted. And by the time I was 23, I was a vice president and managing a call center operation with 300 employees. Some meteoric rise right there. Not like grad school at all, not (laughs) one bit. Um, That was the hardest job and in some ways the least satisfying job I've ever had. Uh, You couldn't get it all right. You couldn't get 90% of it all right at the same time for everybody. And that just distressed me so much. Anyway, I was there uh, for about eight years. When I left, I was executive vice president. And when I left, within a week, other consultants in the general area knew me and were consulting work, uh, were subcontracting work to me. So I was working again, didn't even have any time off, and um, never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Fascinating. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about the work, I suppose, that you do, right? Uh, work. You talked a little bit more about the work that you did then. What kind of work do you do now? So it's an interesting combination. And I say that because I like the variety. I don't want to be doing all the same stuff. I like that I get to work with different kinds of people on different kinds of problems. 
I will say that most of the work is on problems. Sometimes it's on planning, uh, long-term visions, strategies, et cetera. But most of the time, it's really trying to help business leaders with problems they haven't been able to sort out themselves, the stuff that's hung around for years and everybody tiptoes around or complains about, and they just don't know what to do. And a very significant portion of that now, I have really gravitated toward privately held business, mostly midsize, um, and a lot of it's family business, partially because none of the interpersonal stuff phases me. And there are all kinds of interesting, tricky things. And it's more normal is a weird word, but it's more in the normal course that I love them and they love me and we stick with each other for a long time. I have clients that I've been working with on and off for at least 25 years. Wow. That's significant. It's wonderful. I mean, it's that generations of people, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Transition through generations that way. That's a really interesting strategy. Did you, when you had originally started out working with companies of that type, was that something you were envisioning or is that something that just kind of happened? And then as you saw the pattern develop, you decided to like stick with it and start targeting it moving forward? Uh, much more the latter. Um, what I really like is a situation where people are having trouble, can't really figure it out, but they are interested in solving it and they want to hear the truth. And if those conditions are present, then I don't care what kind of organization it is. You know, I'm always happy because what I like is digging into what's going on there. I'm a very curious person. And so I ask a lot of questions. And for whatever reason, people tell me, you know, they, they are just happy to tell me. Even people who don't talk much end up talking to me. And so I can see as an outsider aspects of the problem that the people who live it don't see. Yeah. That like forest through the trees problem, right? A lot of that. Sometimes all they see is bark. Sean. Yeah. Very, very close to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure yeah. that new perspective is definitely refreshing. But it wasn't a plan. I, I actually, uh, just in the last couple of days, have been talking to a couple of different people who were talking about goals and accountability and, and all that sort of thing. I'm not that goal-oriented. It wasn't that I had a clear strategy. It wasn't that I had clear targets. I just wanted to do good work and make enough money to live on. I mean, I needed that. But um, then it was about interesting work and liking my clients. It's unusual for me to end up with a client I don't like. Usually, you you know, you can tell at some point, maybe it's not the right thing. I even, depending on how an organization finds me, it happens 
fairly often that I get interviewed at like a leadership team level, but not necessarily the executive team. Somebody wants to bring me in. And there are times where I have said, we will do wonderfully working together, but it's really important that I meet your founder. Because if the founder or the owner or whoever it is, if they're not comfortable, it won't help you that you and I get along, you in the middle. Um, And there have been times where, boy, that was smart because it was clear that the owner and I weren't a good match. And so that whole organization would be much better off dealing with somebody that the owner was comfortable hearing from or that the founder just trusted. Uh, Sometimes there is clear logic, sometimes not. But I have learned to trust my gut on those things. The rare times when I'm wrong, I don't re-up. That's a great point and also great advice. That alignment is really important because value can be added anywhere, right? But in order for that to be sustainable, to fit in with long-term goals, you've got a lot of personalities sometimes you're working with, those things don't line up, then all of the effort in the world may not translate into results for what you mentioned, whether it's logical or irrational, whatever the reason may be, it doesn't translate to the outcome everyone's looking for, right? And you, especially in terms of, do you want to work with this as a client? Is someone you want to have a relationship with for a long period of time? So figuring that out is just as important. That's really true. I believe, I mean, what I care about is good work in good workplaces. And it's very hard to have that be your operating premise and not like the work. You know, that seems really out of character. and, And I don't know if it goes all the way to hypocrisy, but it's definitely not well aligned. So I try to give almost anybody a chance, but um, I'm I'm choicy. The picky element, I think, is important too. And uh, something you mentioned previously, which I think I want to reiterate because I think it's important for some of our listeners, especially those earlier in their consulting careers to hear, is that you didn't have it all figured out in the beginning. That's, uh, that's how I would summarize some of what you've said so far, and you've gotten better with it along the way. I would categorize this as one of those things that has developed as you've continued throughout your successful career and figuring out there's a difference between who I can help and who I want to work with that needs help, right? And I think what you're articulating for us now is is helping us better understand that in terms of not just figuring out the folks that need the help that you can provide, but also those that you want to provide it for, right? Make sure that there's fit in it there. Yeah. And if I can give you another facet to that. So Please. You, laid, you laid that out really well. It's not for, you are not for everyone. But the other thing is learning that you don't have to do every kind of work that you might actually be good at. I migrated or evolved my business. I started out um, in telemarketing, which is what I had started with in my career. But telemarketing, developed a very bad reputation and people didn't like the idea of it. And I didn't want to be associated with that. So I migrated to customer service, which 
was much more comfortable. But that meant staying in many ways within certain constraints of the kinds of problems I was solving. And you really want to go as far upstream as you can to figure out what the source of problems are. And in a company, almost any problem that happens anywhere eventually is distressing to a customer. (laughs) So um, I could see in the customer service operation or in the call center that there were problems in other parts of these companies that I was consulting to. And when I had the opportunity to talk about that to a senior leader, if they were willing to hear my two cents, then we could work on the source of the problem. And that became much more gratifying. And so over time, it's really been much more about human development and strategy for what the business intends to be and being a sounding board to executives and doing a lot of um, coaching and development for up and coming leaders and for teams. And I like that. I actually get excited to do it. And it is just easier to do the work you like. Super well said. That's all great advice. So I'm glad that we've gotten to that content. Another area that I want to kind of move into as well also, which is something we talk a lot about on the show. In fact, it's where the name comes from. The consulting trap is that like feast and famine element that we go through as consulting professionals. We do management consulting. We do coaching, freelancers, anybody that kind of falls into that category. A lot of the folks we talk to here have these periods in their career where they start to get busy and then what they did to get themselves busy, they stop doing. Uh, once those engagements naturally come to a natural conclusion, they get, they're not busy, they panic, they, they scramble and get back to what you know led them to becoming busy in the beginning. And that's kind of what I refer to as that feast and famine element of the type of work that we do. Uh, with all of your experience, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this in terms of have you been up against this previously in your career? And what has that looked like? And then I'd love to dive into some topics that you recommend in terms of or strategies, really, for for folks that find themselves in these situations that many of the people that I just mentioned uh, obviously do at some point, uh, some of us, unfortunately, more frequently than others, what we can do to avoid that. So as you've experienced it throughout your career, what have you done to lessen that as a risk to your overall business? And what have you, you know, what have been the most effective strategies that you found to keep you at a pace in which you're comfortable, where you're growing, and staying as busy as you'd like to be. Okay. I have so many answers for you that I'm going to forget, and you're going to have to prompt me. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the first thing I want to say, Sean, is that I am a person of privilege. Um, my parents were educated. Um, So I grew up with the expectation that I would attend college, and I was able to do that without having to go into personal debt. Um, The reason I'm laying this groundwork is because everything I will say is true, but I have had an easier road than many people. And I don't want anybody beating themselves up for thinking they can't replicate the last 15 years of my story as if it started there. And um, we all start from different places and some of them are solid and good and some of them are really unfair. 
And taking that into account, I think, and having room for that is really important. Um, so because I had no debt, I was able to, you know, all my summer earnings were mine. And as a young executive, boy, I wish I saved even more. But, you know, because you don't learn till later what compounding really is. And in those days, there was actually an interest rate. Um, but I always had money put aside because I'm pretty risk averse. I'm willing to take risks, but then I think about them deeply enough that I try to make them experiments, but not actual risks. In other words, I know what I am trying to do. I know how much I'm willing to spend or how much time I can invest. And so if I don't go over that, it's no longer a risk. It's part of the plan. Um, I like that. Yeah, uh, that philosophy has served me well. I hate to panic. Uh, I used to panic easily whenever there was a downturn, and there always would be. But in addition to really managing a bank account, I'm very fortunate. I married fairly young. My spouse was also working. So it wasn't just me trying to take care of either me or a family. And knowing that you are sharing the load means there are times where one carries a heavier load than the other. You know, you trade these things off. So I've been very lucky to have that kind of path. That being said, the things I've learned about um, pipeline or looking into the future, I have never enjoyed building pipeline. <laughs> I, exactly to your point, I'm working, I'm working. I don't have time for that. Right. And then you get to the end of the active assignments and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? Yep. So um, there's that. And then, you know, every five, eight, whatever number of years there are, there's some financial downturn mm -hmm. and you think, man, am I going to make it out of this? What is going to yep. happen? A lot of uncertainty. For sure. And for anybody who's starting out, those uncertain times keep coming. You can never assume that from here on, there's going to be smooth sailing. Well said. And that's not to be negative about it. It's the same thing that some of your days are going to be annoying, and a lot of them are going to have potential annoyances in them. So you have to build your resilience, whether it's financial or emotional, so that you're ready for whatever life and work happen to throw at you. So I'm trying to pick my way through your questions. Yeah, um, this is a big question. <laughs> so um, I learned after panic, that it always came back. The work always came back. And therefore, the question was, what was the best thing to do about and with the downtimes? 
So in addition to trying to sustain business, which I'll talk about a little more in a moment in terms of actual technique, um, the idea that when there's a downtime, you can use it productively, that has been great for me. And I cannot remember who I picked this up from, but the idea that you invest in a downtime has been so helpful to me because, first of all, then you're not panicking. You're saying, this is what I'm investing as an experiment for the future because I see a future. And I do believe that operating too much out of scarcity, then you're tense and tight. And when you do talk to people, you can sound, um, I'm thinking of the Buddhist term grasping, you can sound too needy or like you're after them. Well, that's no good. Almost like desperate, right? Yes. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't like that word. But yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I know exactly so, what you meant. So. I always try to come to new business discussions from the perspective of not needing it and with the prospect understanding that Agreed. so that I am choosing them even more than they are choosing me. And that's very helpful, both in a way to build their confidence about the fact that you know what you're doing and you have a full portfolio and all those things. but also, you don't want to be pricing out of a scarcity model either. And if you clearly have as much as you need, then when somebody offers you something that's ridiculous or asks you to come do public speaking for exposure after you've been doing it for 15 years, it's much easier to turn them down. Well said. So um, during those downtimes, I've taken courses. I've hired coaches, and there was one precious summer where I took up watercolor, and I painted. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't very good for my bank account. And, and then I really, when that downturn ended, I worked really hard for a while to build it back. But it was so fun to do something completely different, and it was very enlivening. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, you had mentioned uh, there were the background super helpful and the mentality is important too, right? When you find yourself in these moments, trying to make opportunity out of it, right? I can think of obviously went through the pandemic most recently, not to say that it's over by any means, but that was an incredible amount of uncertainty through a time like that. It's now what, right? Um, your perspective of looking for the opportunity and making these investments is uh, really invaluable for, for people that do the kind of work that we do, because you know inevitably, like you said, we experience these downturns, but we also recover from them as well. Also, right? So uh, there's you can look at it a couple of different ways. The uncertainty can you know really hold you back, or in a way, it could be somewhat liberating in that I can take advantage of this time. I can make investments in new areas uh, because I have the ability to do so at the moment if you're lucky enough. And then when it does inevitably return, uh, like it typically always does, you can be more prepared for it than anyone else uh, because you've made those investments. So I think that's a really healthy perspective and an important kind of mentality to put yourself in and prepare yourself for if you're to be successful at doing this work 
in the long run, right? Because inevitably, we have these disruptions. Yeah. And I think from that, maybe I'll segue into some of the what to do. That would be great. Please do. Um, What I'm thinking of first, based on what you just said. So in a downturn, other people are having a hard time too. And um, I never cared for networking, which always seemed to me to be a little icky. And, you know, I hated those breakfast happy hour things where we used to go with business cards and et cetera. And part of why I hated that was because it was a lot of strangers standing around being either a little puffed up or talking about everybody that they knew and how important they were, all that kind of stuff. I didn't like that a bit. But if you think of networking, not so much as meeting strangers, but as cultivating the people you know, and sometimes meeting other good people that they know, well, that's more like neighborhood, you know, and it's good to know your neighbors. Then you can borrow a cup of sugar if you need one, or you're out with your snow shovels together or whatever it is. So the idea of being helpful to other people, checking on other people. The pandemic is a good example. So I was really freaked out, not so much by the loss of business because I've been through downturns before. I was freaked out that I couldn't go to my office. I have an office separate from my home. I've always had an office after my first year in practice. I work better in the office. And that I was stuck at home, oh, that made me crazy. But some of the things that I did, also because we didn't know what was going to happen, who knew at the beginning, people like us, well, we were in better shape than the people who were public speakers. Um, So many people just fell off a cliff for a while. So... Whenever there's a bad time, if you think in terms of who should I be checking on, how can I be helpful to people, and you just build your community a little, and you listen for what's going on with others, and and you be supportive and understanding, and, and you help out where you can, you are, in effect and I'm saying this in a very transactional way, you're building credits for yourself. You know good people, and they know other good people, and that creates opportunity. So the idea of spending some time all the time in building network, I think, is excruciatingly important, even if it's excruciatingly hard. Well said. And and so the tip I want to give about that is just think of yourself as the host of, if not your whole network, whatever the little connection is you're trying to make, you are hosting. So you're in charge of it. You don't have to go any deeper or any faster than you want to. And call the shots yourself. Well said. Yeah, that strategic element to networking, I think is really important. That's an area where, you know, with what, We've the business affiliated with this podcast, Podcast Chef. 
uh, where I lev- I basically built it into a service because that's how I ended up being able to let do it more effectively and particularly more efficiently than just regular networking where you said, just go to these events and stand in a room full of strangers and meet people. And who knows, maybe you'll meet somebody that you can help or someone that can help you, but those odds sometimes are low. The uh, leveraging the podcast, uh, you know, is a great way, uh, anything like that. Now it doesn't have to be just podcasting, but something like that in order to be more strategic with the way that you network, like you said, like maintaining those close connections with the people that you're closest to and that you know you can help and that they can help you kind of thing, incredibly important. So couldn't say enough good things about that as well. Then I'm going to move from the networking to a different way to build exposure that can feed into your networking. So I guess 10 years ago, I started blogging. And content development has been a very important part of my process. So I write virtually every week. And on my website, there is 10 years of material. Every once in a while, I go back. I was very smart 10 years ago. Sometimes (laughs) I I wonder, am I still thinking those good things now? But it's it's time-consuming. It takes effort, but it is a way to share your ideas. And if you're consulting, people are hiring you because they think you know something they don't, whether it is just knowledge or a skill set, how to do something that they're not able to do. So what could be better than kind of parading that content around and showing that you really have the goods. Yeah, that's another great channel as well also. And another long game element, right? I think I see a lot of people that they start investing in that channel. And if it doesn't materialize into immediate results, they lose faith in it. But um, the example you just gave, it's uh, playing the long game here, right? So getting the building yourself as that authority and developing that, you know, thought pieces, um, helping people have a better understanding of the perspective you can offer, all of that is well worth it. Even just organizing your thoughts, uh, putting them down and sharing them with the world, all of that is helpful for building yourself as a brand, as an authority, connecting with folks, and enabling other people that are looking for solutions to those problems to find someone who knows, like you said, more about it than they do. And you can do that in short form, in long form, in video. I mean, everything's open now. So, sure. I am active on social media and I do speak on podcasts. And one of the things that happens is sometimes somebody watches or listens and just likes you (laughs) and then they get in touch. And, and that does happen. It's very exciting when it happens. It's kind of gratifying after you put all this work in. Um, And then the third thing, and in a way, I am working from three pillars that I have learned from my coach, um, who is Dory Clark. And I actually recommend her course to consultants who want to build up their practices, not just from the financial perspective, but in terms of their standing. Um, What is it called? Uh, 
her courses for recognized experts. And I took this course with her and then I hired her as my coach. And she talks about networking and content development. And the third element that she talks about, which I never would have pursued on my own, has to do with social proof. And that is that other people or institutions that appear to have authority suggest that you are worthwhile. And it was through her prodding, and I will call it that, that I was willing to put myself out in ways I never would have otherwise, and therefore did a TEDx talk, which has become remarkably popular. It has over 360,000 views now. Um, I write regularly for Harvard Business Review and for Forbes. And I am invited by people who see these things, therefore, to speak at their summit or be on their podcast or directly to come and work for them. I have gotten some assignments right off the TEDx off pieces I've written for HBR, you know, someone just gets in touch and says, that's our problem. You could help us. So those three pillars together, and you're not always doing them evenly all the time. I don't want, I mean, just think about how many hours all of that takes. You have to fit the work in somewhere and then also remember to do invoicing. Very important. Um, But If you have a plan going forward for how you're going to do some of each of those, Mm -hmm. you can build your practice. Fantastic. Uh, Liz, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing this advice with myself and our audience. Excellent strategies. We'll do our best to summarize. That'll be included in the show notes as well, too. And then I have two more questions for you before we let you go. The first one is, are there any resources in particular? You've already mentioned a bunch. We will link to those, but is there anything else that you like to call attention to in terms of what we talked about here, where anyone else can go to learn more about any of those topics? Um, I think doryclark.com for Dory's course and my website, lizkislick.com for the 10 years of material. Um, and uh, though, you know, for everybody, it depends on what you like. Find someone who is a few years ahead of you in whatever kind of progress you want to make. doesn't have to be age and doesn't have to be tenure, but see what it is they do and see which aspects of those you can make yours and do your way. That's excellent advice right there. That piece is like, find that person that's at the next step than you are. And then just spider them, right? Like follow everything that they do, learn about it, see what works. Like you said, what you would like to do that you feel like you can do that they're doing that also seems to work. Outstanding advice. Uh, That's a great point. made that one. And then uh, last question I have for you before we let you go is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Oh, getting in touch is easy. Um, My website, LinkedIn, Twitter, those are the places you can find me the most easily. And um, I think if you go to one of those places and you see what my work is actually like, you'll know if you need me. 
Well said. Uh, Liz, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your knowledge. Uh, it's been an excellent time. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'm pretty sure all of our listeners got a lot of value out of it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have a suggestion for a future episode or you would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at sean at podcastchef.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at podcastchef.com. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-C-H-E-F.com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our Podcasting Done For You service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your consulting business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet, or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, We will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.